Perfect. So as a teenager at St. John's College, sorry Kev, don't turn off, turn off my mic. Um, <laughs> as a teenager at St. John's, there's something that happens in your lower sixth year. And this is something that there's a little bit of dread, but there's also a bit of excitement about. It's something called the Lower Six Leadership Camp. And it's got a bit tame now, although I think that every single year group probably says that theirs was harder than the one to come, because everyone as a teenager likes to think that they went through the most difficult time. But in my time, uh, we were at Sanganai Creek, which was rough and rugged, and uh, the food was quite scary to eat at the time when I was there. And there was different things that we did. We learned some survival skills, so we sort of drank the stomach insides of an impala, uh, and you know, we, we, we served it just to say that we'd live off this, and we did lots of uh, mud singing. And that is sitting up to your neck in mud at two in the morning, and this is winter, so it's cold, and singing songs for three or four hours, because who wouldn't want to do that? And we, so, so there was a number of things, you would get all this food together, even though the prefects and the teachers told you, if you bring any nice taco stuff, it will be taken, and we will enjoy it, not you. But we always tried, you know, we snuck it in, one of my friends, inside his sun cream bottle, he put condensed milk. Um, and uh, I mean, so, so guys thought of every possible thing they could do to make this time easier and to make this time more enjoyable. And obviously it all got taken. I was lucky enough to go the following year when I was a prefect after the camp, and so I got to confiscate all the food. It was brilliant. And then I got to go the year after that. I was in a gap year and I was helping lead, so I got to confiscate it again. It was just amazing. Some of my, my best times. But the ultimate purpose of this camp, really, is to test and assess the quality of leadership amongst the lower six body and to assess the potential of being able to be a prefect. Now, I think there's many other ways to test that other than hardship. There's other ways to look at skills. But one thing it did do and it did show is how do you handle life under pressure? How do you operate when you don't have a lot of sleep, when you haven't had the food that you like, when you haven't really slept? How do you operate? What is your character like? Because our character usually shows itself for what it is under trial. It's easy to, um, to, to act nice and act a certain way when things are going well, but usually when things are harder, that, that shows things for what it is. So, obviously, things have slightly changed, but I was involved in this. And so the first day, we arrived at the school, and we obviously got our nice clothes, and we kitted out. And the first thing they do, it's a winter, and the prefix get us to run across the school field and do dives. So, I mean, now you're getting your, your legs grazed, you're getting choking wet, and then they were like, great, we're going to do some swimming before we get on the bus. So, it's sort of July time, and we jump in the water with our clothes on, and now we're freezing, and they're like, great, let's get on the bus, this is so exciting. And our, our food's been confiscated, and off we go. But there's still like some jovial nature, and, or an attitude, and we're singing in the bus, and guys are still chatting, the guy with his you know, uh, fake sun cream is enjoying his condensed milk. And we, we're sort of chatting and there's some fun going on. And then we get dropped off on, uh, just off the main road, to those of you who know where Sakurai is, and I don't know what it is, it's probably about a five or six K walk in, and we've got these logs, which I, I will call mom and dad, and we carry these big logs between our teams, there's sort of 10 or 12 of us, and all our bricks, we each have a brick, which is called our kids, so each of us have a kid, and we've got these monster logs, and off we go into camp. But obviously, my team, which was Indigo, uh, which was the best team, we actually were the worst, because we had two guys who, honestly, I reckon they, they couldn't run 20 meters if they tried. And so we had to end up carrying these guys well over 100 kgs, and it was at the time when St. John's had girls, so three, 
not, not to bat the goals, but three of, we had the most goals in our team. We had three, and they struggled to carry a 150 kg guy. Let's be serious. So, you know, the day our jovial nature decreased very quickly in that 6K time. And then it was lunchtime, and we felt that we were going to get sick if we just ate that. Went into activities, and then that night was like our three-hour sing-along up to our necks sitting in mud. And by that time, the camp was not exciting anymore, and we were not looking forward to the next three days that we had to go through. But what got me through it, what gets most people through it, some guys ring the bell, if you ring the bell, you get connected early. And so obviously that's something that you never want to do. But what got me through it, what got others through it, was the hope, the expectation, the potential of becoming a prefect of St. John's College. Why did you go through it? Why did you sing in the mud? Why did you do all of that? Well, it was, what is the, for some people it was just getting through. It was like, I don't even care about being a prefect. I'm just happy to have a shower at home after these three days. But for me and for others, why don't we, instead of just going through the motions, why did we put our time and effort into it? It was, well, we're looking towards what could happen, what could take place, to see the dream of being a prefect realized. But it wasn't just that that was enough for me. I needed something else because things got rough. And there was an instructor on that camp. He had been a leader on a number of Christian camps I'd done with Sam Pauls, and he happened to be an instructor. And every few hours, he would just, as he walked past me, he'd be like, you're doing well, keep going. Or the next day, as you know, maybe I'd be a bit quiet and I hadn't slept and I was just stinking with mud and everything else, he'd be like, we need to hear a bit more of you. We don't hear from you, I can guarantee you're not going to be a prefect. And he would do all these little whispers and these encouragements to, to get me through. And if it wasn't for that, I don't think I would have put in the effort and put in the time that I could to get through that course. He was already proud of me. He had known me from before. He was already proud of who I was and what I'd done. He already supported me. I was already a brother in Christ, but he wanted to see me be all that I could. He wanted to see that expectation I had, that hope I had realized. And this was the boost I needed. It led me to being obedient to the prefix, even when I didn't want to. And when they were like, all right, we're going to do 100 press-ups. And then you do 99, 99, 99. And you keep doing it. And then you never get to 100. And it just made me laugh at them. And, uh, and just chuckle. And then that really makes prefix annoyed. Because they're like, why are you so joyful? And it, with this drive and this jovial nature got us to get through camp. So I saw things differently. And to sing at the top of our voices in the mud for three hours. And to laugh and chuckle and throw mud at each other. Uh, you know, we, we made the most of it. But it was because of the help I had and what was ahead. Now hope is the certain expectation of a future event. That's the Webster's Dictionary. Others may say it is the expectation that good is coming. Hope is powerful. Hope keeps you going when you think things will never end and they couldn't get worse. Hope drives you on to heights you never thought possible. And the hope I'm going to talk to today isn't a hope like on prefix camp where you might become a prefect, where it may happen to you, where you may get through. The hope that I'm going to talk to today as a church, as Christ follows in this room, is the only hope that is 100% certain. It is the only hope that has been promised and will happen to each one of us who are Christ followers. You see, very often our present hopes and what we hope for in this world aren't realized, our expectations aren't met. But the hope we have as Christ follows for the future is 100% true, 100% secure, 
and it is more certain than anything else in this world. The hope that we can experience as Christ followers. Let me say that again. It is more certain than anything in this world. The reason I say that is because we are very good at placing our hope in things that are not certain. We're just good at it as people. We shouldn't be, but we're good at it. The hope that I'm going to speak to today is more certain than anything else. If you have your Bibles, uh, I would love us to read together. I didn't do a PowerPoint because we have two verses to look at. I'll read it out if you don't have your Bibles. But I'd love you to turn to Titus 2, verses 11 to 14. It's a smaller book in the New Testament. After Timothy, so 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, and it's just before Hebrews. Just before Hebrews. This is Paul writing to a young man called Titus who had responsibility for church life. And I'm going to read from verse 11 to 14. Great. And this is what it says, verses 11, Titus 2, verses 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope. And look at that in a bit. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. It's so important for us to realize that even as you look at this passage, 11 to 14, the part about hope which we're going to look at is sandwiched in between two big events. It's sandwiched between the grace of God and the glory of God. It's sandwiched between Christ coming at two times. He came in the grace of God to purchase uh, for us salvation if we would have it, die on the cross for us, His first coming, and His second coming is a coming of glory. And our hope is sandwiched in between these two events. Because our hope bridges the gap between the now and the not yet. It bridges the gap between what we experience and what's been promised to us. Between what's temporary and what is eternal. God's grace through Christ on the cross for our sin has begun the work. And His return for His bride completes the work. And in this place in between, we get asked and told that we can have a hope in between these two great events. Hope is essential for us to be what He has called us to be when the world is not as it should be. That's why hope is essential. Hebrews 9 verse 27 and 28 backs this up. Don't turn to it. It backs up what it says in Titus. It's almost a mirror image. Look what it says. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many, he comes in grace, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him, second coming in glory. So we look forward with joy and expectation to the second coming of Christ, but at the same time we look backwards to the work of grace on the cross of Christ, which helps us live in such a way that we're ready for the second coming. So the first little bit in that verse, for the grace of God. Grace, getting what we don't deserve. And we need to grow, I say this often, but we need to grow in the gospel and go deeper into what Christ did for us on the cross, 
each and every day. It's not something we get tired of. It's not something that we know when we first come to Christ and then we forget about it. It's something that we need to push into and ask God to show us more of what it means to understand His grace and to live in it. I never want to lose the wonder and gravity of the cross. I never want to lose that. Because if we do, that's when you start to become hard and proud. Because you start to believe you could do this faith thing on your own. And it's such a danger as we've walked with Christ for a while. Because we start to know Bible verses. We start to know what's expected of us. And so we can go through the motions, but our hearts can be cold. And without walking closely with Christ, without understanding His grace and refreshing ourselves in it each and every day, we're so prone to become hard and religious. We begin to think that we don't need God as we can do it on our own. We start to believe that we're better than others, that there's nothing that we need to change in our lives. Friends, grow deeper in the good news of the gospel. Gaze upon the wonder of the cross each and every day and let that change you. Because but for that, we would have no hope of being saved from our sin. We would be destined for an eternity in hell. But through the grace of God, we get to look with hope towards eternity. And so this grace of God that we're to look at has appeared, bringing salvation, it says, for all people. And so the opportunity of salvation is there because of the cross of Christ for all people. Not all accept that salvation, but it is there. As we prayed today and as we sang that song about God is mighty to save, shine your light and let the world see. Then as Ian led us in prayer, no matter how impossible someone coming to Christ looks, with God, it is possible. It is possible. But He works through our prayers. He works through us getting on our knees and saying, God, please change that person's heart. Please transform them. And He is there and eager to do that. And then there's something so interesting. For the grace of a God, God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us, training us. God's grace trains us. Other variations of the Greek would say instructs us. Others would say develops us through discipline. All coming from the Greek word in terms of training. The bottom line is that as we grow to understand God's grace and His goodness in our lives, we allow the Spirit to increase in our lives and our flesh or our sinful nature decreases and we become more like Him. So as we gaze upon the cross, as we understand more of what He did for us, He changes and He transforms us from the inside out. But this is training. It won't happen by accident. It will happen by us purposefully changing our gaze, purposefully training ourselves to look to, look to Christ. It'll take bending of the will, fighting of bad habits, and pushing through discomfort. It's training. We don't become like Christ by accident. It takes training. Just like anything else. Just like being a great athlete. It takes training. Just like being great in a certain field. It takes study and research. Same for us as Christ followers. And I want each of us to never stop learning. To never stop asking God to show us areas in our life that need change. That need transformation for us to become more like Him. We'll find out why that's so important just now. So training us, what does the grace of God train us to do? To renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, 
and godly lives in the present age. What does it mean to renounce ungodliness? Others would say to renounce um, irreligion. It means to boldly let people know and to demonstrate that God is very much alive. To boldly share that, to boldly live that, defend the gospel, even if it's foolishness to those who are perishing, defend it. Run towards Christ and battle the pull of worldly passions. <coughs> what are worldly passions? Well, anything that's taking our eyes off Christ. Maybe lust, maybe money, maybe success, but anything that is diverting your gaze from Christ, diverting your gaze from living for Him. Maybe it's character issues. Maybe, for instance, you've got a short fuse. You just snap like that. You don't necessarily know where it comes from. Maybe you've never known yourself being any different. But you just know in certain situations, just like that, you snap. You've got a short fuse. Suddenly there's an outburst in your life. Well, you're not going to become patient by accident. It's not going to happen to you by accident. Firstly, it'll take admitting that you're sinful, that there's sin in your life. It'll take admitting that, saying there is actually a problem with me. This is an issue in my life. This is a character issue. And then it will take asking Jesus to help you deal with that. So first admitting it. None of us are perfect. But it takes a little look to say, there's an issue here. Lord Jesus, please help me to grow in patience. And it may well take asking others to keep you accountable. Because we're not meant to walk this faith alone. Being the church of Jesus Christ, being the body, is about interrelating, about each other helping the other to become more like Christ. And you might say that Craig isn't that overkill. It's only a short fuse after all. It's really not that bad. Occasionally, I just have a little outburst. It just happened. Is that really that bad? What about people who are absolutely addicted to cocaine? That is far worse. Look at them. Not my short little fuse. It's nothing. It's meaningless. I mean, is it that bad? Well, to be honest, it is. Because your short fuse cost Jesus his life on the cross. It cost him his life. Whippings, a crown of thorns, nails through his hands and feet. Yes, your short fuse is an issue. And secondly, the person who receives your short fuse doesn't encounter Christ in you as they should. And so our object as we grow closer to God, as we dive into the grace of God, is to say, Lord, every little thing in my life that I can adjust and change with your help to become more like you, give someone else the opportunity to see your grace at work in my life and to see me mirroring you. And that's just a short example. A short example. Short fuse. <laughs> Maybe money's your God. And, and that's your desire and that's what you focus on. Well, ask God. Ask Him to help divert your gain. To break the chains of that in your life. So training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled. Some translations would say sober, to live in a sober, to live in a sensible way, a wise way, upright and godly in this present age. Friends, I so want us to be people of stature who act wisely, who are not thrown by emotion, who are not thrown by situations, but are able to step back to see things as they are. As Philippians 2.15 says, to shine like stars. Luke 2 verse 52, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature. 
That's what it means to live an upright, a sensible, a sober life. It's to be someone where people look and they just say, that person is wise. That person is sensible. I want to spend time with that person because they've got something to offer. They've got a wisdom that's not of this world. Pursue Christ. Let the gospel change you. And he'll do that in your life. But why is it so vital that we live out this faith? Why is it vital? Why does it matter that we get things right with God? Yes, you could say because you know, he died for us. So that's, that's obviously that's an amazing reason. But why else? Well, if you jump further back in this passage, if you look further back, those of you who have your Bibles, in verse 2, it's a very strong, it's entitled Teaching Sound Doctrine in Some Bibles. But it's a very strong and clear way that we should act and live. So it goes on and says, um, older men, you should be sober-minded, you should be dignified. Older ladies, you should be reverent in behavior. You shouldn't be slanderers or slaves to wine. It talks about um, you should teach what is good. It talks about older ladies, you should train uh, younger women to love their husbands, to care for their kids. It's a very strong passage, uh, passage to be self-controlled, to be pure, to be submissive. Um, and then look at what it says here. It says that the word of God may not be reviled. So the word of God may not be reviled. Then it challenges men, younger men, to be self-controlled, to be respectful, to show dignity, to show sound speech. And then it jumps in and says a similar thing to the word not being reviled, but it says so that people would have nothing evil to say about us because of our example. And the final thing it addresses, it talks about slaves, and in that day and age, still in many parts of the world, there are slaves and slave masters. And it says, live in such a way so that in everything you may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. And then it jumps into this passage, for the grace of God. So why is it so important we live like this? Why is it so important we do that? The reason why it's so important is because the world is watching. The world is watching to see if what we read in here is the same as what our life looks like. And if those don't match up, then the world goes, ah, it's just a book. It's not living and active. It's just a set of instructions. This isn't God's word, because if it was, people would take it seriously. That is why it's so important that we live all out for our faith. But you won't care if the word of God is reviled unless you're blown away by the grace of God. You won't care if there are areas of your life, of your business walk, that people who are not Christ followers can attack if you aren't blown away by God's grace. You won't live out true doctrine, doctrine, the hard parts of our faith. The parts that you read in the Bible and they just make you feel a bit uncomfortable because it's so opposite to the world in which we live. You won't care if you don't really believe Jesus died for you. And so the grace of God and how we live fall hand in hand together. And then it says, so we live this in the present age because there is an age to come. But this is the present age because there is a future age. And I so want us at Harvest to live like there's another world. So when people see us and they see what we talk about, they see what we say and what we care about, it'll be so evident to them that we are 100% certain that there is another world to come. Because that will lead to people asking questions. If someone looked at how you spend your time and where your money goes and what you speak about, could that person easily say, it's obvious, they're living for something other than earth? Would it be easy for someone to just pick that out from our life straight away? 
Lord, help us to do that. We had such a special moment, uh, Leila and myself, yesterday. We were looking for something that had been misplaced. We were walking around the garden together. I was like, Leila, I think we should just pray about this. She's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> She's like, Daddy, where did we find um, that item? I said, oh, I don't know. I think it's South Africa. Okay, let's pray. She's like, dear Lord Jesus, please help us to find this. And if not, please help us to go back to the place in South Africa where we found it. And please help us to buy it again. But please help us to find it. And then she's like, but you know, Jesus, it doesn't matter anyway. Because I've got other ones. It doesn't really matter if we find it or not. But thank you anyway that you can find it. And I mean, she was absolutely unaffected by this at all. And the bottom line is, it was hers. We were looking for this for her. And she was not even stressed at all. Why? Because in her little mind, she was like, it's only stuff. It's only a thing. And we can always get another one. But if we can't, Dad, it doesn't matter anyway. So we're just going to pray about it. We're going to leave it in God's hands. And it was such a special moment. And it was so good for me to see out of the eyes of a three-year-old what really matters. What really matters in life. We need, that's why God says be childlike. We can learn so much from that. We live in this world and we're here for a short time. But a twinkling of an eye before we face all eternity. And that leads us on to our hope. Waiting, verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope. And what is our blessed hope? The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is our blessed hope. You see, we have two types of hope. We have a present hope. There's things as the church of Jesus Christ that we, that we can hope in in this age. There are. For example, when it says in the Bible, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. That's a present hope. We can know no matter how tough things get in church life, no matter how many false teachers arrive um, and arise on their way, they will not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. When pastors mess up badly, the church will not stop. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. When persecution wipes our churches in certain areas, it will grow back stronger because the gates of hell will not prevail. A present hope that we have is that the church of Jesus Christ and what we're about today and each and every day will stand the test of time. In this lifetime, the church will prevail. What other great hopes do we have before we look at the huge blessed hope? Is that Jesus died for the church, Ephesians 5. I think that is the one, hey? The marriage passage. You would, oh, well done. Before I just misquote things. The marriage passage where it says that Jesus died for the church. It's incredible. What a hope that the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, died for the church. That's a huge hope that we have. Immense value. It was worth Jesus dying for. What else did Jesus do? He filled the church with his power. He had spoke about this last week. Pentecost, he came. There is power. What an amazing hope to see God work in power to the church. But what's the ultimate hope of the church? As it says there, it's the second coming of Christ. It's the second coming, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that is not fantasy. That is not fancy. It is going to happen. He is returning for his bride. 
just as Jesus Christ coming and dying for us and rising again is central to our faith, so is Him returning. It is just as central. Because if He does not return, then everything else was in vain. And so His second coming is as vital to our belief as Christ followers as the first time He came to earth and rose again. We are waiting for His second coming and that will again be the proof to all that He is who He says He is. He's returning for His bride, the church. Far greater than the opportunity for me to be a prefect on camp. Far greater a hope. His return is the most exciting thing we can look forward to. Greater than any holiday you can look forward to. Greater than any investment you could buy into. Greater than seeing your kids grow up and develop in the Lord is the second coming of Christ. Jesus will return. John 14 verse 3. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will take you to myself. And where I am, there you will be also. He is coming. Acts 1 verse 11. And he said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This is the angel talking. This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. I'm not concerned with the hows or the whens in this preach. That's for another time. But it's going to happen. And are you ready? And is your hope placed in that day? Is your hope placed in that day? Or is it placed in something else? Because we need it. And in this world, we will have trouble. There's going to be mocking, there's going to be trial, there's going to be misrepresentation. There's going to be battle, there's going to be attack. And honestly, if life is quite a breeze for you with no difficulty, you do need to ask the question, am I living out the faith I'm supposed to live out? But that hope that we have in what's to come will get us through the difficult times in this lifetime. When Paul spoke in the Bible, that's why he could say, these light and momentary troubles because his hope was in something greater than this lifetime. And so how do you and I access the hope, this blessed hope that's promised to us, this hope for the church? As we close, how do we access it? Well, firstly, if you aren't a Christ follower here today, it involves giving your life to him. You will never experience hope and peace and security this life and the next if your hope is not in Jesus Christ if you haven't given your life to him and if you are Christ followers the way you experience hope is to truly pick up your cross to truly surrender everything to him and live for him alone I know the fad has passed but it really is about saying in every situation what would Jesus do those famous WWJD bracelets I know I was a fan and you can get them in multicolor. It was awesome. And I don't think many people actually thought about it once they had it on. But if we genuinely ask that in each and every situation, we will grow in the hope of Him and the life to come. We need to fix our eyes, as it says in Hebrews, on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Because He is redeeming us. He is purifying us. He yearns for us to be zealous for good works, as it says there. And he is the one who is the hope giver. Let's pray. Maybe just as you, we've been going through this preach, maybe you feel a bit like you're sitting in the mud at 2 a.m. in the freezing cold up to your neck. And 
things are not going well and maybe there is a hope but it feels very, very distant for you. Maybe it feels like you have no energy to live out your Christian faith. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are the hope giver. I thank you that it is firstly by relationship with you, Jesus, that we experience real hope. And I thank you that as Christ follows, as your church, the way that we continue to experience and grow in hope is by knowing without a shadow of a doubt and, and fixing our eyes on the fact that you are coming again for your bride, that you will make all things new, that we are citizens of another world, that we are here on assignment, but this is not where our hope is placed. Our hope is placed in a secure and eternal future where you rule and reign and Satan is crushed under your feet. And Father, I ask as harvest that we would be hope bringers I ask that we would be hope givers, that we would be people who are so excited about your imminent return, that our speech is different, that our actions are different, that our security is different, that what we say and how we live, what we care about, is so of another world and is so attractive. And everyone we come into contact with says, I've got to have a piece of it. I need what you have in my life. What is it? You can say, it's Jesus. It's the King of Kings ruling in my heart. And I know he's coming back for me. So I ask that we would be a church that lives this out. That as we go from here today, as we head into the, into the society, into families, into businesses, into schools, that we would rest and rely on you as that friend who comes alongside us on a difficult camp, we would rest on you, we would ask you for help, we would rely on you. And that through that, you would help us to keep going, to keep pressing in, to keep our training going as we look towards the certain hope. In your glorious name we pray. Amen. Amen.